All right, book of Romans, chapter 8. You were here last Sunday. We went through the first four verses of chapter 8. And it's kind of an introduction into who are the ministry of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> namely the, the Holy Spirit in our lives. What the Holy Spirit does in us, through us, and then kind of the negative of that, what the Holy Spirit ain't doing in everybody else's life who ain't a believer. So just in, in chapter 8 alone, I think the Holy Spirit is mentioned about 18, 19, 20 times. It's a bunch if you look through. But just to start with verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So if this is something in our lives that we're going to walk according to, shouldn't we know as much as we can about the Spirit? Namely, the Holy Spirit. That's who it's talking about. Every time it mentions the Spirit, capital S, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, you think about it, the Holy Spirit is probably one of, because we believe in a triune God, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All three of those are God. It's probably one of those that we leave out the most, right? We'll talk about God the Father. We'll talk about Jesus all the time. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, kind of seems like we keep Him in the dark, right? You know He's in your life. You know He works through you. You know He helped inspire the Bible, or He pretty much gave what to write to everybody for the Bible, right? So what about Him makes Him a person? You can't see the Holy Spirit, can you? So I started asking the question, what, what makes a person a person? Can anybody tell me? Think about it. What makes a person a person? What do they have to have? What do they got to be made of? Not skin, not flesh, just to be a person. Spirit or a soul? So one of the things I got to looking at, and because I, I Googled this, and I was like, I want to know what the smarter people than me say. One of the things is an intellect. Does anybody know what an intellect is? Tim, no? Tim's a smart guy. What's an intellect? There you go. Okay. <clears throat> so, you got to have the ability to reason. you got to have intellect to be a person. Let's look at some verses. Look at Isaiah 11. Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, is everybody there? Verse 2. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might. Counsels. The Holy Spirit counsels. 
He also has wisdom. He also has understanding. And I'm saying he, because he is a person, he is God. The other thing that you must have, I looked up, is a will. Willing, you have the will to do something, right? To be a person, you must have a will. Look at Acts chapter 16. I told you we're going to be everywhere. It's going to be just like you were in Sunday school when we were playing, what's that called? The Bible Challenge to get there quick. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So he directs, he directed them where to go. It was his will they not go here and go there. I believe it's a little bit further down. Verse 7, and then, and when they had come up to whatever that, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, same thing, Holy Spirit, you're going to see here where it's got many, many, many names, meaning the same thing. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them, allowed them to go here, not allowed them to go there. So he has a will. And the other thing that I looked up was emotion. So you have to have an intellect, you have to be able to reason. You have to have a will. Another word for that is volition. You have to have affection or emotion, right? First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the world, word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit experiences joy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29 says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? The Spirit can be insulted. You'll see the Spirit can be grieved. You'll see the Spirit can love. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Verse 5. <clears throat> Romans 5, verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He loves. So we have an intellect, we have a will, and we have an emotion. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I also got to look it through the Bible. The Bible actually gives word pictures about the Holy Spirit as well. Anybody know what a word picture is? It's kind of a way of explaining something by using a picture or an item to explain what they do or what they represent. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Luke 24:49 It says, "And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high." This is talking about the Holy Spirit. When you think of being clothed with something, because it's the word picture they're using here is clothing. What does that make you think of? Covered. And using the Holy Spirit to say you're going to be covered, how do those two go together? When you're covered... When you're clothed in the Holy Spirit, is it just here and there? Is it pieces of the Holy Spirit? You are covered in the Holy Spirit, right? So that doesn't go away. Clothing shouldn't go away. Especially not in public, okay? So that word picture is kind of letting us know that it is... In our walk, we are clothed in the Holy Spirit. That should be, a, that's, it's kind of a reassurance to us that we are clothed in the Holy Spirit. Here's another one the dove. You remember the dove? What happened with the dove? When, when Jesus was baptized, what happened? Right. That was the Holy Spirit, right? In the form of a dove. There's another word picture. And really when you get to looking at that, the dove has always been like a, a symbol of righteousness, a symbol of purity, which the Holy Spirit is. Another one is fire. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 3. The only reason I'm bringing up all these verses and all these word pictures and all these things is, like I said, because we're talking about the Holy Spirit on Sunday. The more you know about who the Holy Spirit is outside these verses, the more you'll start to understand is, wow, I have this inside of me. This is my helper. Acts verse two, verse, or chapter 2, verse 3. Let's go back one more above that. 
Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Was it really tongues of fire that rested on them? It's a symbolism. But using fire, it kind of displays the power behind it, right? When this came down, you remember on the Pentecost, what happened? When the Holy Spirit came down, it said it rested on them like tongues of fire. You going to say something? What happened then? When the Holy Spirit what came, down, what came down over all of them, what happened? Started speaking in tongues. So you see the power come on them. Jesus had just promised this would happen, right? And then it came. Um, another, let's look at 2 Corinthians verse or chapter 1, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, and it, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What do we anoint with? When, whenever, whenever, we, uh, whenever we have, um, what's it called? Prayer shawl. What do you anoint that prayer shawl with? So there's another word picture. Another is a seal. And who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's put his seal on us. The, a few more is water, wind, a pledge. And each one of those kind of signifies something by using that word picture. So you have the clothing, which is kind of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You have the dove, which is the righteousness of the Holy Spirit. You have the fire, which is basically the visible presence that they're there, right? You see fire. And when this fire came down, you knew the Holy Spirit had come in because at that time, all these people were speaking in, in different tongues, well, in tongues, but yet everybody around them who were of different languages could understand what they were saying. You have the oil, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have the pledge, which is pretty much what's a pledge do. If I pledge to do something, then I am guaranteeing you I'm going to do it, right? We have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. The other thing that I, that I looked at was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And just a few... He adopts Romans 18 or 8.15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of the spirit of adoption as sons 
by whom we cry, Abba, Father, a spirit of adoption. He baptizes. He bears witness. He calls to ministry. He convicts. He empowers. He fills. He guarantees. He guards. And if you'll look through the, about who the Holy Spirit is, basically all, the, all of the attributes that we know about God are true of Him too. And that's just another way of reaffirming that the Holy Spirit is not separated from God. It's not like it's something outside of God or weaker or lower than God that we have as a helper. It is just as equal. Look at Hebrews 9 Verses four, uh, verse 14. Hebrews 9.14. The writer here is talking about the redemption through the blood of Christ. Verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself. The Spirit is eternal. The Spirit has glory. The Spirit has holiness. What does omnipotence mean? Does anybody know? So you got omnipresent. He's everywhere. Omnipotence. You are all-knowing. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. If you if you trace back just to when Mary became pregnant, who put the child there to begin with? The Holy Spirit. He has been involved in every single thing since the beginning. A lot, most of the time you'll hear that Jesus was there. A lot, a lot of beliefs will say that God created Jesus by using one verse. That's that, what the way they back themselves up by using one verse and throwing out that the other 20 that says that He create, all things were created through Him and for Him. The same thing with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we'll use God and Jesus and leave Him out, but He was there and He was part of the whole entire creation and has always been. He's not a creation. He is God as well. Now, <clears throat> the same way that we can sin against God, 
sin against God the Father, we can sin against the Holy Spirit as well. As a matter of fact, what is, what is the, the, the number one unforgivable sin? You remember? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why would He not be important? <laughs> if that is the unforgivable sin, right? As believers, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? What does it grieve something? To call sorrow. Now, what in the world would we do to call sorrow to the Holy Spirit as believers? Sin. Sin. And we're going to learn about that more Sunday. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. <clears throat> we just go back to our verse where we started. Romans chapter 8. And in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The only people who can set their mind on the things of the Spirit are a believer, is a believer, right? Everybody else are the ones who live according to the flesh and set their, their minds on the things of the flesh. So to grieve the Holy Spirit when we should be setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, is basically having the Holy Spirit and not setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, right? Which is sin. Go a little bit further. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Now, we can still set our minds on things of the flesh even being believers. That's how we sin, right? Like I said last week, Paul said, I want to do good, but it's this evil that I do. It's all this junk that I don't want to do is what I'm doing, is what I'm thinking. So it's not I who does it, but it's the sin. So I know that I serve the law of God with my mind, but in my members, my body still serves the law of sin. This is not, he's not talking about a believer here. He says to set their minds on the things of the flesh is death. Death here means completely separated from God. Like you're so dead, you don't even you don't you don't acknowledge God. He's not even there, right? And we can all see some point in our life where that that has been the case. We we were dead, right? For, but to set the mind on, on the Spirit is life and peace. That's the rest of verse 6. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there's your difference between a believer and an unbeliever. So all believers 
have the Spirit. If we have the Spirit, then we should be mindful of the things of the Spirit, right? Let me ask you a question. I'm not going to preach my whole message here, but I just want to get your mind spinning. What does it mean to set your mind on the things of the Spirit? Does it just mean to go, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to thank Holy Spirit all day long and then I'm going to be good, right? What does it mean? When does sin normally win in our lives? That should be that should be a red flag right there, right? And and that that's what the process should look like because it, even Paul says, "I do the things I don't want to do." If the apostle Paul, who was called by Jesus face to face, if he didn't get it right, you're not going to. I'm not going to. So that process always it's it's a daily process too. It's no it's no wonder that we need a daily renewing. Because yesterday's grace, mercy ain't going to make it today. You've got to have that renewed, right? The same thing with your mind. When I wake up in the morning, just because I did good yesterday and I fought sin and, and beat it in the ground yesterday, today I could get body slammed. So if I am not in the Spirit, if I'm not walking, that's not skipping and, eventually, and every now and then grabbing hand and holding on. This is walking every day in the Spirit. You will be defeated by sin. I'm not, don't hear me saying you will go to hell. It means that day you will be defeated by sin if you're not walking in the Spirit. All those things you struggle with will come to the come to a head real quick. Right. Right. You did. It, it was it's like that letter I read last week. I wish I'd have brought it with me. It made the most sense. Martin Lloyd Jones wrote this letter. And he basically said that the difference between a sinning believer and an unbeliever was an unbeliever was like breaking a law, right? A believer was like being married and doing something against my wife. I didn't break the law by, by doing something against my wife. I, I sinned against love. That should be the case with God. We shouldn't look at it and be like, oh, man. Now he is going to be super mad and I am going to be in all kinds of trouble and I have broken this law. And that's not the case. It should be what leads you to repentance should be, I love you so much, God. All that you've done for me and then I've sinned against you. That's the, that's the, the godly sorrow. Just anguish until you get it off your chest type thing and ask for forgiveness. Knowing that if you're a believer, all your sins are paid. Everything you've done in the past, everything you're doing right now, everything you will do is paid. But that doesn't mean we got a free card to sin. That means when we do sin, we repent, right? And then we turn away from it. We, we confess it, we repent, we turn away from it. You don't turn away from sin if you are not walking in the Spirit. Right. 
So the danger that comes with that is when I do sin, if my mind goes to, oh man, I'm forgiven anyway. Or if I'm repeating the same sin over and over, day after day, eventually, I don't even see it as sin anymore in my own mind. And at least it's not as bad as what they're doing. And I start comparing myself to the world or somebody else that's living in sin. Before you know it, my measuring stick is not Jesus anymore. It's just to be a little bit better. It's all about being morally okay. So I think knowing as much as you can about what's inside of you gives you a better idea of, of the power you have inside of you. Not of yourself, but what is there, right? That literally means that God is in you. And you are grieving God. And God is there to help. But sometimes we just don't want the help, do we? 